Hello, hello. Welcome back to Artwork. This is episode three, Idols and Inspirations. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. Um, it means a lot that you're here. It means a lot that you're still listening. So we're still enjoying making this for you. If you're still enjoying listening, then I guess we keep going and see what happens. I hope it's fruitful for you this episode. It, I think we got a lot of interesting stuff covered. Um, give us a rating if you enjoy it. I think that helps us al- algorithmically on whatever platform you're on if you can give us a rating then give us a fair rating whatever you think we deserve um also want to say sorry for the wait with this episode i've been focusing on putting out my own ep which has been well not too too much of a hassle but you know it it took up a lot of time and um mental energy so i didn't dedicate enough to this project but from now from now on i'm gonna be dedicating more time to this and we're gonna try and get episodes out at least monthly that's going to be the new schedule so i hope you're looking forward to all that we've got some good um podcast ideas lined up and as ever with the episodes before we're still looking for contributors we're always looking for contributors so if you're listening and you think you want to get involved if you just want to listen that's fine but if you think you have something to say to us and i'm sure you do then send over an email to artwork.atwork dot podcast at gmail.com honestly the show sometimes feels like crowdfunding for new ideas and um, new ways of seeing things so we get a lot of value out of whatever people send in and it's been really fun to to do it for three episodes it's a endlessly refreshing thing i always wonder if i'm going to get bored of the project but um it's not happened yet and i don't think it will because people say new weird shit every time so um yeah it's great and it doesn't feel like work so i hope it still feels like a, a solid project because sometimes i just feel like this is too much fun to be any of any use to anyone but fun is useful so i'm contradicting myself a lot in this intro let's just get to the episode oh one more thing so the soundcloud account that we were previously using to upload these episodes ran out of space and we have started paying for a service with Pinecast who have been brilliant, transported all our episodes over seamlessly but we are now paying $5 a month for that service so if you value what we're doing here then we'd really appreciate a donation of any amount to help us cover those costs, literally 50p from all or most of our listeners would be more than enough and any excess would go to the next episodes, the next month's subscription even so there's a link in the description to what they call the tip jar and you can leave however much you want to leave. And that's enough on that. I hope you enjoy the episode. Artwork episode three, Idols and Inspirations. Okay, welcome back to Artwork, and we're back where we started, well, across the... Yeah, across in a different room. room. Different room, <laughs> but, but we're back in the studios, Express Studios, and Louisa is back. Yeah, I am after. back after a very long summer of not being here. Yes. I am back in this beautiful country called Wales. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. It's been, it's been about a month since we asked people for contributions, so I want to say sorry because I've been a bit selfish and I've um, been focusing on my own projects and um, starting work and all that stuff. Anyway, apologies, but the episode is here now and we're going to try and do more consistent uploads through the autumn. We've got some good podcast ideas coming up, so... Yeah, we've got a couple of topics that we will be also releasing soon. A couple of topics and a few ideas additional to that, which you'll see. It's quite exciting time for us. (laughs) Always exciting times. But yeah, today's episode is Inspirations and Idols. So we've picked five questions about who people looked up to when they were younger or look up to now and how they go about taking inspiration from those people. And it's been quite nice, I think, to to hear people in these episodes because the first two of our episodes, it was kind of self-focused, you know, beginnings. How did you start and where do you work in working environments? And this one is quite nice to hear people kind of just give thanks to... Yeah, I think in general, like a a massive part of the creative process is based on us becoming aware of how people approach creativity. Mm. 
But sometimes it's almost like unaware, and that's why I think this episode is going to be quite interesting because sometimes you don't even realize you're being influenced by someone, or you、mm. don't realize that your work is very based on someone. I've been in that situation、yeah. where it's like it's almost even difficult to draw the line between like inspiration and almost plagiarism. Yeah, yeah. Which is a, a thing I think every artist struggles with, like trying to find their own voice when they're also like following someone else's voice.、Mm. So it'd be interesting to see what the contributors、yeah. have to say about that. And, and it's like they realize sometimes they're. Own inspirations, or they maybe they did before they recorded their voice note, but sometimes you can hear them speak and they're like, "Oh yeah, and this too. Oh yeah, and this too." And yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes back. Okay, so this week's contributors, we're going to go in alphabetical order, and we start with Matt Humble, who is someone I know from school, and um, I think just at the end of leaving school, or maybe it was a while afterwards, but he started with um Max McShane, Finn and Reed, Jordan Peg. More probably、um, the Milk Events Company, and、um, they've been doing events up and around the country and all different kinds of music, and they're just growing a lot. And they they put on a, a kind of indie band lineup the other week, which is a step away from like dance music and what they've been doing before. And they've got T-shirts, and they they're very active. So I thought it'd be interesting to see how events organisers. Do that, do that、mm. thing, and so we got in touch, and he came back straight away. Oh, that's、so、pretty that's、nice、cool. Then we got Jem. He was in our previous two podcasts. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, so he's a visual artist.、Uh, he does a lot of stuff, three、uh, D kind of sculpture things. Yeah. If you listen before, you'll know Jem and our poor attempts at describing what he does, because what he does <laughs> is so interesting. I feel like next time we should actually message him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Um, so Monroe next is someone I met here at Express. He produced my first show in my first year, actually.、Um, yeah, it was the same with me. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah.、Oh, <laughs> it's connection.、Um, but yeah, he is now a, a music writer,、uh, blogger. He's got Sour House Blog, which is a great website, and he's been doing loads of coverage of、um, loads of gigs in Cardiff and interviews with bands and Soonfest. Recently, he did a big article on that, which is very nice. And、um, good photographer too. So、mm, yeah. I don't think he's mentioned that in this one yet, but it would be nice to hear that from him too. Yeah.、Um, but yeah, that's Monroe. And then we got Roni, who is actually right now in Switzerland. She's、yeah. doing a year abroad, but she's still sending us、um, answers, which is really good. Amazing. <laughs> yeah.、Um, and she's a writer. She writes amazingly, a poet, poetry, and just fiction. She's really good. I've I've read her work, so yeah. <laughs> recommended. Yeah. Recommended. Yeah. I guess we'll get to question one. Who were some of your first idols or inspirations in your field of work? Perhaps someone you tried to emulate when you started out. Let's go straight into it. So, Jem gave us some written answers. He had a faulty microphone this month, which is fine.、Um, so he said, "I have a lot of artistic idols, and I like to have them span the whole range of different disciplines." I have a long-running interest in fantasy illustration. I consider Mobius to be one of the greatest artists of all time. His use of colour and endlessly inventive designs transport me like no other artist to fantastical worlds beyond our own. Katsuhiro Otomo, the artist behind Akira, I think is the greatest draftsman ever, and the cyberpunk imagery that he, among others, created, are foundational pieces for me. Digital artists like Sam Rolfes, apologies for my pronunciation, Andrew Thomas Huang. Are new to me, but their work is important to me now as I start to work more in digital formats. So that was Jem, and now we'll hear Matt Humbles. Yeah, some someone who I had a huge amount of、um, admiration for and still do is a、um, dubstep artist called The Bug. Who he's around at night called Pressure for you know, over 20 years now. You know, dubstep dub night, consistently putting on. Some of the best events that I've seen. I think he's now hosting them in Berlin. But back before Milk, I'd see his gigs pop up and just be like, "Wow, <laughs> you know, I'd really like to run something, something like that." Whereas Milk is nowhere near the level that the pressure is. Early on, he was a huge inspiration for me, just seeing what he'd done and his. You know the way he, way he put out the work. I'm really big fan of his art artwork that he uses for them. And yeah, just every everything about his nights kind of was the first introduction to this sort of scene. Whereas now we do more, you know, a bit of everything, bit of drum and bass, bit of hardcore. But like early on for the dubstep stuff that we were doing, yeah, it's just really really nice to see. And、um, 
then of course seeing younger people you know my age or even younger beginning to put on gigs in in town in Newcastle it then became something that wasn't so out of reach that you don't need to be a world-class DJ producer and I'm sure it does help uh, you could just all you need is really just a passion for music you know, a bit of a drive to to forward your events and things like that so so yeah growing up seeing the bug and you know, other people like Lofa with his Swamp 81 nights and Vivek who puts on the system nights and they're the really, really big ones. And then people started putting them on in my local area, like I said. That just kind of brought it down to here for me, which is really, really nice, yeah. So in terms of idols and inspirations, there have been two people who have really influenced my work, both as a radio presenter, radio presenter um, and as a music writer as well. And they are uh, Steve Lamack and Mark Riley, who are presenters on BBC Radio 6 Music. And anyone who knows me will know that I talk about them pretty much on a daily basis. I love their stuff. And the, the reason why I was really inspired by them early on is because I saw a lot of myself and my kind of taste in... Um, in their work and the way that they presented the music that they play on their shows, you know, was something I really, really wanted to to emulate and kind of have on my own shows on Express, uh, Express Radio, uh, which is where I started out doing radio work um, back in 2016. And as a writer, it's also been very influential again, because uh, Steve Lamack started out as a writer doing, um, I think I think they were like, I think they're called Zines, musical Zines or like magazines. I can't pronounce that correctly. <laughs> um, but he started out doing that and ended up becoming a radio presenter through that work, through being a music journalist. And I'm, I'd like to think I'm kind of heading down a sort of similar path, you know. So the reason why they really inspire me is because they are, I, I, I kind of see their like, their sort of long-term game plan almost, if you like, is something that I could really emulate. And I really respect and um, look up to the way that they present and talk about music. I think I'd have to say... Figures like Patti Smith or Lou Reed, people from that particular New York era. Uh, I think I really fell in love with the sort of observational, quasi-existential form of writing and, and also the simplicity of it, of the style, that it kind of came from nothing sometimes. And, and I could get into that then at a really young age, I think around about 12 or something, I got heavily interested and quite obsessed with the Velvet Underground and I started reading quite widely around them and, and asking lots of people about them and, and finding out sort of what their literary, like cultural sort of, who their uh, literary heroes were. and. That sent me off on, on a love of literature because of the feeling that I got when I um, sort of read about or listened to or, or learnt about those people. So I guess I got into literature because of them in quite a, I guess, like interdisciplinary, but quite, um, yeah, it wasn't a straight route. It was, it was coming from another area of culture. So that was a really nice in. Yeah, I, I like that they sort of wrote a new philosophy of of life through the, you know, tiny uh, banalities sort of, of everyday life and a lot of sort of borrowed dialogue from friends and family and the people that they are hanging out with and um, keeping it really real and just sort of... It had little to no quote-unquote fictional elements. You never quite knew what was real and what wasn't but it all felt real and I think that was uh, the reason why people like Patti Smith and Lou Reed and those sort of postmodernist um, proto-punk figures really appealed to me um, yeah I, I like that the, um, <laughs> the the sense of imagination that it just sent spiraling off as a young woman and and the sort of way that the theory was written into it uh, uh, in sort of a really light-hearted accessible way i think i like them because uh they assumed that their readers would work it out for themselves apply it for themselves create a sort of context for it i think i appreciated 
the way that they spoke to their audiences as though they were, you know, smart people that could apply whatever it was um, that they were sort of insinuating in whatever way they wanted to and it would make perfect sense to them. Yeah, I think that that was the kind of the scene that I was really interested in and um, was really keen to emulate, actually, uh, especially as a, a teenager, a young teenager. Okay, so those were the answers. And, um, yeah, a wide variety of, of people and, and even activities that people yeah. are doing. I think we can see, like, two approaches to, the, to answering the question. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the first one, I think it's mainly Munro. He talked more about kind of techniques of, of being an artist and uh, kind of, like, imitating yeah. how you approach art and how you go about it when he talked uh, about... I forgot his name, but... Uh, this, Steve Zemeck. Yeah, like he yeah. started off as a music journalist and then he went into radio. Yeah. So he was talking more rather than the actual artistic field. Yeah. He was talking more about the the approach he took to, to become what he is now. Uh, and I think like that's one side of inspirations, which yeah. is also like really useful. And then the other, uh, Roni, Jem uh, and yeah. Matt, they talked more about the actual field and the actual art There's and what they created. There's a bit where Roni said they sent my imagination spiralling off so it wasn't like she saw how they got there she was like what they've made has inspired me to think differently mm. and yeah maybe so that's two two different things I think the whole episode people have kind of taken it different ways yeah. which is kind of interesting and maybe it's um, poorly written questions or maybe it shows this kind of multiplicity about how people interpret the idea of inspiration and their idols um, yeah, there was something I want to say about uh, Matt's, that seeing young people do events around him made it not out of reach. And that's something we've seen in Sweat and in every episode, people talking about how, maybe it was just in beginnings, but people talk about how when they see someone, they realise that they can do it for themselves. Yeah. And someone in close proximity. So young people, even people that aren't like your elders, like Steve Lamack might be, you, they can inspire you because you're like, OK, they're doing something, I can do something at this age. As well. I think there's also a, an aspect of relating to the idol. So for me, it was like quite enlightening when I found Molly Crabapple, who's a writer. Because mm-hmm. um, most of my influences in terms of writing have always been male. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just like kind of odds that I just always ended up reading stuff written by men. Yeah. But then I found her, and it was like, it like, Sometimes you need that. Like it's good to see like someone of your same gender mm. or of your same age yeah. doing what you're doing. It also like it's more enforced. Like the idea is more enforced on you when you see someone that is relating to you in some way. Yeah. So I think that's also interesting. It seems so much more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And Ronnie said something too about how they made theory accessible through kind of clever writing and just writing about. There was no fiction. She said there was just the banalities of life and. You can write things in a carefully poetic way that kind of give you this grand theory. And so it's a good introduction to wider literature that can come from, like, just a pop song, if it's written really well. Um, yeah. Which goes to question two? Yeah. Cool. On reflection, what do you think it was about this person or group of people which drew you to them? Has this relationship to them changed over time? Yeah, so Jem's answer, written, was... What I look for in an artist I love is vision of something that is otherworldly. That's why I have such an affinity for the science fiction and fantasy artists mentioned. I also need something that resonates with me emotionally. Um, I touched on it slightly just before. Uh, me being a huge dub, dubstep fan and seeing you know, the likes of The Bug, the likes of Lofa, putting on these huge heavyweight nights. Um, but they're mostly down in London. And then people putting them on up north. It proved that we didn't, at the start, you didn't need a huge following from your music. All you needed was, you know, maybe booking a big artist helped. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was um, just a huge passion. And when I went to these gigs, I went to a few of them, and it was seeing how, how they were set up and the amount of effort and time that had gone into them, and then obviously seeing you know, like-minded people like me at these gigs and seeing just them really, really loving what they were seeing. That's what really drew me into the, um, to the music scene. 
And I think my relationship to these nights, you know, over time, if anything, it's grown, grown stronger and stronger. You know, having put on a few dubstep dub gigs myself with Milk, and yeah, again, seeing gigs popping like this, you know, all over really in the UK. And I've really admired the, the work that goes into them to the final night. You know, everything from the design of the artwork, you know, seeing new, unique ways of promotion. And then obviously the event, you know, how everything comes together for that one, for that one night. Yeah, we tried to put in as much effort as these, you know, heavyweight nights do with our milk. But yeah. As far as what drew them to me, originally it was my dad that helped me uh, discover Six Music as a, as a station um, and got me listened to it originally. Um, and the original reason why I kind of listened to their shows is because they were on at very, very convenient times. So especially at university, when I'd get home at about four o'clock-ish, I'd whack on Six Music and uh, Steve Lamack's show starts at four o'clock. Very convenient time. Um, and then Mark Riley's comes right after it in the evening and sort of takes you through till, till nine o'clock. So, you know, there's like five hours at the end of every day when I'd be listening to the radio, looking out for new music, and it would be on these shows. And that new music element was really, really important because both their shows do so much to promote up-and-coming artists. Um, and I know that uh, both Mark and Steve do a huge amount of work, you know, just going around the country basically and looking for new artists and trying to discover them. And so what drew me there to, towards them was firstly because of that new music that they would showcase on their show, but also because that was the kind of thing that I really wanted to do. I wanted to go to gigs and find new artists. I wanted to, you know, go to these cool venues and go and, um, you know, be that, be that guy in the corner who was, uh, you know, scouting out new talent, basically. And I feel like I'm starting to do that now, which is really, really cool. Okay, so I realised that I kind of answered a big chunk of that in my answer to question one. Um but I'll elaborate on it by saying that I was really fascinated as well with Brian Eno's idea of the seniors, the idea that genius only comes from being part of a, a group or a collaborative or just being around people that you can bounce ideas off of. So yeah, I guess I had that fascination with groups and collectives, but also the role of the individual and that sense of super individuality that each of those folks had. Um, for example, take Warhol's Factory Folks as an example. It is their, their, their really focused individuality that made that work um, and that drew all sorts of people into the mix. And, well, I think over time I'd gotten a bit sick of the poor little rich girl narrative that sort of puked its way uh, out of that kind of scene, um, that Warhol's Factory scene, but... As I grew with that realisation that there was a lot that I was uncomfortable with and realised that, oh, maybe I can't really... It, it's, there's, there's a darker side to it. I also started to acknowledge that um, my, my nostalgia towards those people and their work and how that, the nostalgia, has become central to my current relationship to them. So I love... I love that group of people. I love that group that group's work for so many reasons. The conception of the scene, the aesthetics, the sound, um, and that so much of it was born out of poverty and sort of a punk nature and, and very DIY culture that somehow became hyper-commercial, but um, also because they were my sort of my first love or my first cultural love. So my nostalgia is sort of central now to to my admiration and to that warm, appreciative feeling that I have when sort of discussing or, or thinking about them or paying any attention to their work. So so yeah, that's how it's changed. <laughs> I've had my own emotional response. My initial emotional response has now become central to to how I interpret and feel about them. Okay, so that was the answers from the same bunch over again. That was really nice to hear them all talk about how they're all kind of still involved in the same things that started them off, that they still find inspiration in where it brought them to. So Matt started off just admiring from afar and seeing people do it, and then now he can he can be in the field of work and kind of see what innovations people are making and and build in that way and it can still be inspiring even after the point of 
the departure, or like the mm -hmm. launching moment. Yeah. What did you get from that? Um, I really like Roni mentioning the importance of being part of an artistic community. Because mm. I think, like, I can relate personally to it because in my school, um, college, when I was starting to write and considering writing as a career, yeah. it was so important to be surrounded by people that also did the same, especially because it was through them that I got to know my, like, my idols. Like, yeah. it was through like the recommendations share, like, yeah. of books. It was, we, we, we used to have actually like a reading club in college yeah. and it was really good. Because, like an official one or you just uh, No, together? it was just, yeah, oh, right. it was That's very nice. casual. Nice. But um, it was really helpful for me because um, we just wrote stuff and then read it and then people oh, gave nice. you feedback. So it was like a really good way to start off yeah. something. Um, and most of the people actually that um, I met there are still like doing it's creative stuff, so it's really nice to see yeah, yeah. how it, it actually turned into something later on in life. So, yeah, yeah. and I, I just I just w wrote this down because I really like how she phrased it. But she yeah. said like my first cultural love. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that yeah. because that I can relate to it. And yeah, and the nostalgia she was talking about yeah. as well, and how that is rolled into how you see it all now. But it, it adds to it the inspiration that you got at the start. She mentioned the senior stuff. Did you have you heard that before? The senior? No. So it's um, an idea that came from Brian Eno, the ambient music producer. A definition I found online, I don't know if he said it, but it says the ability, intuition, and creative intelligence of a community, group, society, or organization, lots of commas there, <laughs> um, to create what they aspire, need, and choose a collective group of people and produce a variety of just, positive and empowering outcomes that are inclusive and meet the need of all within that community, group, society or organisation. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was a long description. <laughs> Basically, like you said, just being in a group and yeah. the, the group mind making something. I think if you adapted this concept to other fields, it'd be mm -hmm. quite utopian. But mean? like... If you try to adapt that to like I don't know politics or something of yeah. that type, it'd be very utopian. But then when you adapt it to art, it does work out. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? I think I think it kind of adapts to like a political party, but not the whole of politics. You know. Oh so right, you yeah. Have like one group that wants to do this. I guess the problem is there's. There yeah, I guess I. I guess I just have this idea <laughs> that um, politics is less friendly than artists. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe it's just my. It mistake, could be. Yeah, it's probably. I quite never true. heard that before. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's um, the book I've been reading. I mentioned a lot in the last episode, the mm. Mihaly Sixth Mihaly book about creativity. Become kind of my bible for this show. Um, I'm only like two chapters in since we last <laughs> recorded, but um, that's the way he thinks about it as well. He doesn't mention the seniors. Maybe they wrote at the same time, but he always talks about how creativity, when you hear about like artists of like the romantic era and stuff, they are one of like hundreds and hundreds. So the stuff you see in galleries are one. And there were hundreds of other people that were recognized at the time. And it just so happens that these people are still remembered now. So the whole scene that created these people is to be, I guess he's saying is to be acknowledged as well. Mm. But that's a kind of historical yeah. way of looking at it. But yeah, being in a in a scene of people, I can't remember how we got there from money. <laughs> community, anyway, thank you, artistic Ron. communities. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wanted to say about um, Monroe's answer, he was talking about how he's still intrigued in what those radio presenters are doing. And I think that's because those radio presenters are still intrigued in what other people are doing, mm. if you know what I mean. Because he was saying they're always looking for new artists. And why else would you listen to a new music show if you didn't think they were going to be looking constantly for like good new artists? Yeah. So I think that it's a, like a thread that like just keeps going and going and going. I think it's interesting to have idols that are your contemporaries. Mm. To have idols that are still alive, are still creating. Yeah. Uh, I have that a lot in, mu in music. Mm. Um, some writers do, but especially in music, cause it's been really interesting to see their evolution, not only as artists, but also as people. Mm. So, like, the example that comes to my mind right now is it's Metronomy. Because yeah. um, their first albums were very, like, you could tell that they were going through their university phase. They were writing about being yeah. a university student, being in love, falling out of love, mm. all that. And then... Their latest album that was actually released, I think, last month, is about 
everyone getting married and yeah. having children. So <laughs> I think it's really interesting to, to, to see that evolve through time and see how, how art evolves with the artists. And it's something that we can do now with having so many like contemporary idols. Yeah, and social media too, yeah. where you sometimes see that part of that yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, I fully get that. There's a, a rapper that I always listen to, R.O.P. Ferreira. I started listening to him when he was in university and I really liked that and I was just like in sixth form and now he's like 26, he's got a record store and a record label and I'm in university and I'm thinking, should I be tracking my, like my development from when he was making music yeah. in university or from from now and just listen to what he's saying now or is it more appropriate if I listen to what he was saying when he was my age? I'm not sure if that's a useful thought. <laughs> yeah. um, outside your own feel where do you tend to find inspiration yeah so i wanted to ask that one because i always i see lots of artists posting about like sports and i think there's a kind of big connection there mm. between like really good sports people and really good musicians they always seem to know each other maybe it's just the parties they roll to but yeah i think there's an admiration there as well for kind of honing a craft yeah and um yeah so i wanted to see how people related to that sort of thing yeah, I can't remember how the how these answers went, so I'm excited to hear them again. I th think in one of the conversations we had when we were planning this podcast, mm. we were also talking to an extent about this because Indian artists they draw a lot of their inspiration outside art. Yeah, how to? Yeah, it's just like how it's interesting to see how interdisciplinary it can get. Yeah, because um, right now I'm, I'm working on on the project I mentioned in the first episode about memory. And I also started becoming interested in maybe like looking at it from the psychology side of it, like the science side yeah. of it, to because I think that sometimes as when, when when you're too immersed in your work as an artist, you forget that there are fields that actually study the actual thing that you're writing about. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really helpful. It just brings so much mm. to the table when you have more than one discipline. I feel like there's loads of clarity in in scientific writing that yeah. is yeah really useful to draw off. There's a Philip Pullman book I read about storytelling and he says that he always reads like quantum physics mm. just to give him kind of ways of thinking so there's some kind of idea in physics that he takes and he'll apply that to his story i think it's called phase space mm. look that up if you can yeah um, philip pullman on phase space i think he did a talk or an essay about it it's a great point of inspiration so yeah science is definitely one and speaking of because we we just mentioned this before doing this episode but we want to get some scientists on the show because that's yeah. creative and um, explorative kind of stuff. So if you're a scientist that's listening, I hope that we have some scientists listeners. Or if you do <laughs> art and science, perfect. Get in touch with an email address and we'll send you the questions for the next episode. And we'll try and make the questions applicable equally to scientists and artists. Yeah, That could be tricky because we're, we're not scientists. <laughs> Maybe we need some help there. Maybe. Maybe. We'll figure that out. <laughs> anyway, yeah, get in touch if you want. So we'll move to the responses, and this was Jem. People who can demonstrate deep technical knowledge or skill in a subject, no matter how mundane or removed from my own line of work, in fact, further the better, since A, their discussion will be fresher to me, and B, there is less scope for anxious self-comparison. These people drive me to act, to enhance and build upon my own skill sets in the fields I work in. The people or subjects that I find inspiring in this is virtually unlimited. I spend hours watching detailed breakdowns of metal working tools, internally circulated instructional films on safety and procedure in nuclear power stations, to expert commentaries on sports that I am otherwise uninterested in. When I was little, I used to watch the making of features on films and TV programmes, what feels like more than the films themselves. So this has been a point of interest for me for a long time. I especially remember we had taped the behind-the-scenes for the BBC series Walking with Dinosaurs. I don't remember ever watching the actual thing, but behind-the-scenes was really interesting and I'd watch it over and over. It seemed more like magic to me than just seeing the dinosaurs on the screen. I'm very process-oriented, would be the easy way to put it, and I've always been interested in exploring and demonstrating, presenting, process alongside the final outcome. I can relate this to a school project I had that was very much centred around the production of old Japanese ukiyo-e, hokusai, hiroshoge, etc. prints. These prints were mass-produced during the period of the 1600s to 1800s, and while the prints themselves are very beautiful and the artists involved themselves have been very influential in my aesthetics, I found and still find that the image of that 1700s print workshop has stuck with me more meaningfully. 
The people who have made me examine my process have done as much, perhaps more, to influence my art than those who have made me examine my artistic outcomes. But for me, those that make up the latter rarely exist in the art world. That's an amazing answer. I, I love that. that. <laughs> it made me think about how um, people always say about creative people that they used to always take things apart, put them back together when they were kids. Mm. I feel like I hear that lots. Tom York said it about... Yeah. He, like, made his own guitar or something. But, yeah, there's a kind of curiosity on how things work. We'll get to that later. Um, so the next answer here is from Monroe. So as a, as a writer, in terms of where I find inspiration away from... Um, my idols, it's usually just through reading other articles on, on other topics. Um, I was exposed to a huge amount of work during my degree because I was doing politics. And so keeping up to date with all kinds of different um, political matters and ongoing events was really, really essential. And a lot, one of the ways we do that, obviously, is not just through reading uh, academic articles, but also through reading news articles. And so I was subscribed to a lot of newspapers and magazines from around the world that were covering all sorts of different topics. And as a result, my style of writing was was influenced by them and continues to be because, you know, they, they offer quite a different... They obviously you have to style your writing to, to suit the audience and suit the kind of topic that you're covering. But what I found quite interesting is that in the case of politics, for instance, as much as it is quite a dull subject at the very core of it, people are very, very good at making it engaging and the ways in which they do that are really, really interesting. I could probably spend hours talking about that and going through it all. In terms of finding inspiration away from kind of the field of music, for instance, I'd go to those kind of topics that I'm also interested in, those kind of subject fields that I'm interested in, and um, take notes from that, basically. Okay, so I'm a writer, um, and I'm not too concerned with genre or discipline. Uh, writing to me is interdisciplinary and no one form is superior within the field and outside of it as well. So people write music, people write films, etc, etc. So um, I guess outside of the field as such, I'd have to, t when talking about that, I'd have to take it completely outside of the context of the arts and consider probably uh, the field in a very literal uh, sense. So I'd take it to mean um, maybe naturally or geographically so uh, I'm going to talk about field as place I think and um, I can find inspiration uh, in people and in, in work anywhere but it's really when I'm somewhere that I love <clears throat> usually in a city um, that I can just step into that mindset where everything somehow seems like it exists just to be devoured <laughs> and um to, to be able to derive work from and and nothing seems derivative it all seems like it is that one new true source that's just there to be absorbed and, and worked with for example I, I i try and do this as much as possible and i'm in basel right now i'm here for the next six months or so um, and I'm living on Nietzsche's old street and I'm also wading through archives upon archives of uh, Jungian magic because this, this is his alma mater here at this university. So every single thing seems to speak to me right now. Equally, put me in my beloved London or Berlin any day. Um, I'd love to say <laughs> I'm a rural chick and I do love it. When I'm spending time in the country where my extended family lives, say on Dartmoor or around Avebury in the West Country, but I don't really write from there. Um, I'm somewhere else. When I'm there, I completely drop out. And it's sort of, it's not, I'm not in a headspace to work or to find uh, that essence that gets me into a period of work. So, yeah, again, where do I tend to find inspiration? outside of my own field yeah precisely outside of my own field <laughs> i think it's it's just somewhere geographically uh, new or that is always changing that's why i pick um examples such as as london or, or berlin places that i you know feel like they i'll never know them no matter if <laughs> it doesn't matter if they're my hometown or not it no one ever well, no, because they change so quickly for better or for worse. So, yeah. Elsewhere. <laughs> okay, so those are the responses for talking about where else people get their inspiration. Uh, I found Gems. Mm. Answer, very interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I like... <laughs> 
how he talks about watching detailed breakdowns of metal working tools or yeah. internally circulated instruction films of <laughs> safety and procedure in nuclear power stations. Because I think it's just fascinating, like how you can write or draw inspiration from all these things that might seem like on first on, on the first impression like completely unrelated to what you're doing. Yeah. But once you actually get into the gist of it, you're like, actually, I can find inspiration from this, and it and it just feels really cool when you actually find inspiration from like a very yeah. detached thing. And, and I it think feels like no one else is going to get this connection. Yeah, that I've reached out for. It feels exactly, like and I think especially in poetry, it's very helpful to go outside the poet poetic field. Yes, um, and just draw because poetry is very visual, mm. and sometimes to create striking visuals, you need to, to move a step, step back and be like, okay, what can I look at that is striking in itself? Yeah. And I think a lot of, of my own poetry is like, I like to call it like um, this process I do when I write, like ki kind of um, dissecting, yeah. like almost in a biological process. Yeah. Uh, dissecting my own feelings, dissecting my own self. So and you're observing yeah. your own feelings. Yeah. And almost yeah. like in a medical way, um, I, I like to detach myself completely from the feelings and be like, That's interesting. this is what is happening, you know? Yeah. And it's very useful because that way it's like, almost like I'm not writing about myself anymore. It's like I'm writing about something external. Yeah, there's something I read the other day about how <coughs> when, you, when you write in like a diary or something and you talk about I am doing this or I feel like this today, Apparently, it can be more effective if you... Effective, that's a weird way of putting it, but it can be more effective yeah. to say you when you're writing. So it's right, you are doing this, and it's like mm. you're talking to yourself, you're addressing yourself through your words more than if you write I, and you identify with the feeling. But if you say you, then you're... Yeah, like you said, dissecting yeah. it and, and looking at it analytically. And it, look, it, it, it works in a very interesting way, actually, the second person. One of my favourite books mm. um, is actually all written in second person. Yeah. Uh, it's called Aura. It's, it's, um, I'm just going to look it up yeah, because go, I can't remember the author. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Mex... I want to say it's Mexican. It might not be Mexican. <laughs> I'm just, I just want it to be Mexican <laughs> yeah. because I am. Um, yeah, Carlos Fuentes. Uh, yeah, he is Mexican. Okay. <laughs> um, and the whole book, it's a very surreal book. It's very abstract, very strange. Yeah. But the fact that it's all written in second person makes you engage with the story in a way that yeah not a lot of stories do and i think it and and i adopted this technique a bit in my own writing yeah sometimes i address the the you and even if yeah. the you is me that yeah. that that switch it just changes the, the way the reader yeah um engages with the writing so suddenly it's, it's not just like blurting stuff out into a page it's like you're having a conversation with yeah. yourself and you're reading it and you're going oh yeah i do feel like that or yeah, I do see that. Yeah, it's a good, good practice, and yeah, I I share the same thing about um, behind the scenes stuff. That's my favorite part of. Oh, well, that's what this podcast is, isn't it? Really, so, yeah. <laughs> of course, obviously. But yeah, watching behind the scenes stuff. I love pi those pictures of. Um, there's ones of uh, Toby Janssen. I think I mentioned this in the last episode, actually. Mm. Toby Janssen, the um, the Moomins author. She's got this massive studio with like these huge canvases. And yeah, mm. it's just great to see how people would do that. Anyway, Jen put that really well. Uh, number four is sometimes it can be beneficial to turn away from our idols in order to create something original or more personal to ourselves. Do you agree with this statement? Is there a time you have experienced this feeling? Tell us about that. Jen had this to say. I don't know if there is a point where you must abandon, turn away from your influences entirely. I believe that we are a synthesis of our influences and that this synthesis is essentially unique so that creating something original doesn't mean moving beyond your influences but understanding how they can be combined to create something that is genuinely original and personal. Obviously there is a case for moving past a certain influence if you find yourself or your work trapped within their confines but maybe the solution is if you f genuinely feel strongly about that artist, to become so absorbed by them is not to abandon them, which can be truly traumatic, but to combine them with others and from that arrive at something new. And uh, yeah, I fully agree with the statement. Where emulating someone or someone you admire can work, 
when you when you're starting off, you know, which I think we we tried to do um, when we did first start out um, with a few gigs. Not in terms of you know artwork, but more so how we articulated ourselves through through social media in order to I don't know seem seem more professional than we actually were at the time. <laughs> but there's only so far you can go with that with emulating people. Uh, before getting, you know, called out for, for plagiarism or for ripping someone off. But yeah, to be completely unique, especially when starting out, is incredibly diff difficult. With putting on events, there is only a finite few ways of reaching your audience and portraying your brands. I think with specific genres, for example, these are the certain cliches that when starting out, promoters typically use. Like um, for a hardcore gig, for example, there's um, you have to act in a certain certain way, a bit more informal, which is what's typically done. Bit of a laid-back approach, but then for for live gigs or something, it's more of a serious approach there. So there are these kind of unspoken rules that you need to need to stick by. I don't need to, but in order to put on a gig that people can relate to, the things that they've seen before in the past, and oh, right, okay, that's a hardcore gig, or this is a live gig. And um, so yeah, in order to stand out, there are these, these guidelines, almost. Um, or you could just book a huge artist and completely disregard these. Um, or again, have some artwork that really stands out, um, you know, or some, and some quirk on the night, like some fancy dress or some daft like that to try and try and get people to come. So yeah, I think it's always a good a good thing to kind of step away from your idols when creating your own, whether it be artwork or you know anything that goes into it, in order to create something that will stand out and that is completely unique. But you know, it's all right to take inspiration where you can. So you got to start somewhere. Um, I definitely agree with that statement. I really think you can find a hell of a lot by stepping away, stepping out of your field and kind of looking elsewhere for inspiration. Um, I don't really have a specific story uh, with regards to, uh, to, to the question, but what I would say is that when I go and do it, I do it because I want to find fresh ideas or kind of look at my own work in a reflective way. The other thing too, I think that's really important is that with with music writing, it's quite easy to get trapped into a bit of a bubble um, with regards to the kind of artists you're talking about, for instance, the kind of movements you might be talking about. And so it's really, really important to take a step back sometimes and just consider the wider picture. You know, music as a whole is just, it's, it's vast. And even, even if, you know, the work that I do is somewhat diverse, it's only diverse really to me in the grand scheme of things, there's still so much stuff that I don't write about. And so it's really important to remember that you are kind of only one small part of a much bigger picture and taking a step out of that, I think is a really important thing to do. So I definitely, definitely agree um, with that statement. Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, last episode, I briefly spoke about having periods of collecting versus periods of creating and how, how I find it hard to merge the two, or I did find it hard to merge the two, and now I've realised that actually the way I work is by having that quite strict differentiation between doing those two things. So I think integrity for me is, is really important, and seeing that I'm still young, and, and despite having a strong sense of self and of narrative voice and of what I think I want to say right now. I fall in love with other texts really easily and very intensely. Um, so when I commit to a, a new piece or a new project, I tend to starve myself of, of new material um, just in case it has an effect that's so pr profound that it makes me want to backtrack and rewrite everything in an ode to it. So I, what I like doing is make sh making sure that I have that period of devouring everything before um, I go into a period of sort of hibernation and working and, and crafting. So I like to sp split the two two things up. Of course, this doesn't mean that I'm not revisiting works. I'm not taking notes whilst reading new ones either. But it's just that once I've started um, on a new project, on a new piece, I commit 
I mean, myself and others might edit the hell out of it, but I try not to do a full 180. I like to keep it organic and sort of not recreate something according to someone else's framework. I like to sort of have a bit of a, you know, reading, taking everything in, and then a spot for thinking and thinking about how I might apply the elements that I like and then um, working and just focusing on my own stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so those are the responses. One thing that brought up for me, and I wondered if, if we could get anywhere talking about it, is um, what is the line between inspiration and plagiarism? Because Matt mentioned how you can take inspiration, but once it gets to a certain point, you're just copying. Do you have any experiences kind of struggling that line? I think a big part of it is being honest to yourself, being yeah. self-critical too, yeah. being self-aware of your writing. I think it's normal to start off, like I remember the things I wrote when I was starting, like when I was 15, they yeah. were basically copy-pasted versions of what I was reading. Yeah. And I think it's completely normal to start off that way Yeah. because you need a reference to start from. But well, it's like learning how to speak, isn't it? Yeah. You, you just you copy what you hear. And then, yeah. yeah, that's why I have an accent. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but I think as you evolve as an artist, if you actually want to make a career out of it or, or become a full-time artist, yeah. you need to develop a, 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 the capacity to be self-critical about it. And something that was really helpful for me uh, studying English literature is that for our creative writing projects, they make us write critical writing piece mm. where you establish like who are your influences, yeah. what work are you using as inspiration, and then write how your work differs from the original, well not the original, but the yeah. first. Yeah. So that then that process is actually really helpful, and I feel like it's something like we shouldn't be doing just because we have for for uh, creative writing mm. for the great but I think artists in general should do that at least even for themselves yeah. just to become self-aware of how you're using that inspiration and where that inspiration is in your writing mm. so uh, a concrete example of that in my writing was that I developed this piece of, of writing that was about um, engaging with photographs so mm -hmm. I, I had like three photographs and I wrote a text like responding to them and this was a lot of it was heavily based on on Jeff Dyer's um, the ongoing moment which is like a history of photography and he has yeah. like images uh, through the whole book and then he talks about each image and then connects them it's, it's an amazing book it's cool. one of my yeah. favorites uh, but when I started writing that piece I realized like I'm just doing what Jeff Dyer is doing yeah. so how am I going to detach <laughs> myself from his style and through realizing that I just I changed, I shifted a bit like the perspective and I made it more personal because Jeff Dyer's book is very like practical, it's very historical, it's complete, like he doesn't talk about himself at all. So what I did was like implement uh -huh. my own story of photography Yeah. and I ended up talking about this book um, that it was like the first photography book I ever saw and I was like five and it was in my coffee table in, in my house when I was growing up. Wow. So it was like trying to engage with that book. Uh, in my writing and like yeah. with the memory of it. So it turned out to be like a completely different piece because then I was talking about my life, I was talking about my memories and I was talking about my own engagement with photography. Mm. So the concept itself was the same because yeah. I was putting the images and then, the yeah, as, as Jeff Dyer's, but then yeah. I, I took it, took my own approach. So yeah. I think, yeah, it's all about self-awareness and self-criticism. I think also that, like you say, is self honesty and that you really kind of have to go quite a long way to actually plagiarize it's not easy mm. to plagiarize yeah. <laughs> like you'd have to really do an exact copy there's so much influence and inspiration that goes on in making things that it's not really a problem most of what you can copy because people won't know there's so many things people won't know you've taken from this place or this place and yeah different fields like we've gone over so yeah i think we, we got to the bottom of that yeah <laughs> Okay. Um, so the final question is, what do you hope to inspire in those who view your work? Yeah, um, what I said to people when I asked this on the, the voice note I sent out was that I know that it kind of, it requires you to think quite highly of yourself to be like, I'm going to influence people, everyone's going to yeah. hear me. But I, like you said, it's important to know who's inspiring you. And I think it's also important to know or to try and anticipate what you're going to inspire in other people. 
and that can kind of help you reverse engineer what you're doing now. If you, if you think, if I give this away and it's going to do this to people, then you might go back and reconsider. Um, yeah. But yeah, mostly lovely answers on this. So people have a good idea, I think, of what they want to want to do for other people. And I think there's a pretty common thread that you're going to hear through these. So Jem said, I hope to inspire in those that view my work the same things that I find inspiring. Succinct. If anything, I would hope to, you know, for people to see what we're doing and other event companies like us and just try their own hands, try their own hand at putting on gigs, you know, for them to put their own style, their own spin on it, to make an impact on the scene and keep it, keep it growing. The UK underground music scene at the minute is really, really thriving from multiple events just popping up all the time, you know, new artists and events always, you know, always coming up. It's, it's just really great to see, just for people to keep smashing it and keep having new takes on the scene. Yeah. I would hope to inspire people to go out of their comfort zones and find new music, especially local new music. Um, I try and do as much as I can on my blog and on social media to promote local artists and to get people to get people involved in the local scene because in most cases, most most big towns and cities will have a music scene and they'll be full of artists who are looking for their big break and who just need, you know, those those extra few numbers at a gig to give them a bit of promotion, give them a bit of exposure. And getting involved with that is such a rewarding thing, such a fun thing as well. It's a really good, entertaining way to do things. And I would hope that people who have read my blog and who have listened to the radio shows that I've been part of will see that and kind of see that it comes from a very genuine love of new music, of music in, genu- in general, and that, you know, that they, they can kind of see how, how rewarding it is to go out and find new artists and support them. The, the biggest thing really also I think is that we should, is it's not just about um, finding new stuff, but it's also about getting behind it as well. Going and finding a band who you, you love and then supporting them and giving them, you know, giving them your support in particular, that kind of personal connection is so powerful and so rewarding. And pretty much everything that I write about, it comes specifically from that because I've listened to a song or an album and I feel like I have something to say about it. So I really hope to inspire people to kind of do the same. It's not about writing, you know, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and start reporting on music. It's more about just finding stuff that you, so finding music that you like and that you can you can engage with and supporting it, particularly local and new music. Okay, so on a personal level, I'd like to think that I could inspire women to feel, or young women, to feel just as comfortable as men, to write about the minutiae, the tiny everyday, quote-unquote, and insignificant details of their life. I'm at that point now where I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do this, take it or leave it. Um, and also that you don't need to be a Virginia Woolf or whatever type with, um, I guess, today's equivalent of uh, 500 a year in an Oxbridge room of your own. Um, you can do it from a provincial place. You can do it in periods of personal economic deprivation. You've just got to start and you've just got to be the one who bigs yourself up to begin with. Uh, just do it and don't feel guilty about it. I'd like to inspire people to know that they... Uh, of course, it's great if you have other stuff going on and, and you have you have stuff coming from elsewhere, but you can be your own support system, mentor, you know, a bigger-upper, <laughs> backer. You know, you, you can just start and keep going with it. And also... I guess on another level, I'd like to be able to inspire a desire to dig deeper, um, to want to learn from text. So to be introduced to new authors, new ways of seeing, new set parameters, not even new, um, but just a way of, of thinking a bit broader. Yeah, I think that's why I like to put a fair amount of not necessarily just name dropping but um like cultural references in my work this is what i'm listening to this is what i'm watching this is what i went i went and i saw this i walked here the other day whatever um being really specific about it and building character through those reference points as well because you know someone might see it and want to read up about it 
or or see it and really relate to that character then um no matter how niche the the thing is or i don't want to teach anyone but someone might learn from it and fall in love about it with it so um i think yeah both inspire people i guess to just start um even if their situation is uncomfortable um and hard or or difficult uh, for whatever reason and also just to uh, shamelessly plug stuff in their work (laughs) no just to to have a broad vista and a wide range of reference points to to jump off of and and to just keep learning keep reading new stuff keep watching new stuff keep seeing new stuff and keep really engaged i think okay so there we go and yeah like you said before thank you ronnie for contributing from overseas (laughs) it's very nice to hear from you and i hope you're enjoying your nietzsche and you're young while you're (laughs) over there um yeah where to start i really liked um just do it and don't feel guilty about it that's my favorite kind of advice from that whole just start, like she said, just start from somewhere and guilt is a kind of dead end. It doesn't matter just to keep going and see what you f- find in your own in your own day-to-day life, in your own day-to-day experiences. Do you want to answer the question yourself? <laughs> um, the same thing that most of them said, um, which is just be really truthful to your own experiences. Well, it depends what, if it was music and, and lyric, then yeah, to be true to what you see in yourself and in the world around you. That's mm. What about you? you gotta... I think the main thing that my biggest idols have inspired me to do, and I hope to do the same one day, yeah. is to create. Because really it's, it's simple. It's simple, but at the same time it's very complicated. When, yeah. when you are reading something or looking at a piece of work or a fo- photograph and it, it just gives you this urge, like, I want to do something. Yeah. It, it, it puts you... Um, into movement and puts you into action. I think that, that that is the biggest accomplishment, even if it's in the wrong way. Like, even if someone read something that I wrote and got angry about it and mm. then wanted to write a critic about it, yeah. that is still action for me. It's still, it's it, it's something because yeah. it, it, it means that you're not static. Static? Static? Static, sorry. Um, it means that you're not... And I think that's one of the biggest differences between someone that has never been, has never approached art Mm. to someone that has is that everything they do has a very like defined purpose yeah. whereas with artists it's like we, we don't do the thing we do the things we do because we have yeah, like a yeah, yeah. We, we do it because the act of doing it and the act of creation is what gives us purpose yeah and we don't even think about that most of the time we just go yeah I'd like to do that and it's like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. if i could ever inspire anyone to be like that i'd just be like i'm, I'm done that's, I'm, it. that's yeah. it i actually wanted to mention just quickly mm-hmm. um what happens when you meet your idols um because yeah. i, I actually including that in the questions yeah, yeah. it's just i just it, it kind of connects with what i was just saying but yeah. basically uh last month i had a workshop um about framing migration. That was the name of the workshop. It mm. took place here in Cardiff in the Jomek Journalism Building. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, they just brought together photographers and um, mainly, um, yeah, journalists uh, also like um, di- different disciplines. But the, the, the whole point of the workshop was to talk about how we frame migration through photography. Yeah. And I met Daniel Castro Garcia there, who is an amazing photojournalist. His work, uh, he's been doing work with, with the refugees and migrants in Sicily, in Italy, since 2015. He's an amazing person. And meeting him was actually, it was amazing because uh, we didn't only like meet him, he, we also like showed him our work. Yeah. So I showed him my work, and I was really scary, scared about it, obviously, because I was like, I love this guy's yeah. work. What is he going to think about yeah. mine? But it suddenly, uh, it dawned on me when I met him and when, when he gave me, like, the feedback, which mm-hmm. was, like, really nice feedback, and I'm still, like, in shock, yeah. um, that that is what I want to do. Like, I want to, if one day I, the day I make someone want to, to create something as beautiful as what I, I am doing, 
then mm. that will be the day I'm done as an artist. Like that, that yeah. is my purpose, you know. To, to, to like pass the baton on. Yeah, from I think that, yeah. The, and that, I think the artist is about that. Art has always been about. Otherwise, it would have yeah. died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it was, yeah, it was really beautiful, like to to listen to someone talk about my work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and someone that you respect. As yeah, well. yeah. So yeah, sometimes we just need that, like, yeah. reminder that this is what we create. Yeah. I was thinking as well about a question. I was going to ask who is your favorite teacher at school, and I know not everyone would have mm. had an answer for that. Some people didn't have a, a favorite teacher or didn't have a significant teacher, but yeah, a significant kind of tutor in your life that helps you grow. I'm kind of gutted I didn't add that in there. I think that could have been interesting, but people like that that you respect and have years, years and years ahead of you in terms of how long they've been working on it. You can learn so much from yeah their their opinion of your work and what i want to say about monroe's um response is that he just wants to set off the same drive that he feels the same things that he feels passionate about he just wants to encourage other people and that's the same in, in every of these answers that just to follow it sounds so cliched to follow what you're passionate about but that really yeah, no, is but it. it is what it is about it's otherwise cliched but it's also difficult to do so it's worth yeah kind of but i guess otherwise we wouldn't be doing this podcast <laughs> exactly yeah well yeah hopefully it works <laughs> hopefully someone is inspired to do something they didn't think of doing or have been thinking of doing for ages and haven't done yeah, yeah that's that's five questions um hope you enjoyed that episode we'll be back sooner than sooner than later for the next one <laughs> yeah um, yeah thank thanks. you for listening thanks for listening thank you for making it all the way to the end hope you enjoyed that hope that you got something out of it uh leave a tip in the tip jar in the description if you want the links to all the contributors work and their main pages on the internet are in the description too yeah it's all there and see you for the next one